Good morning, church. We're so excited to worship with you this morning. Thank you for joining us online. Um, yeah, I just wanted to encourage you today that I was reading the Psalms this morning. I was reading, your steadfast love is better than life, so I will praise you, or your praise will be on my lips. And I was just so encouraged that we can look at God's love and we can praise him and we can, we can adore him. And that's what our praise is. It's adoration. It's, it's us saying to him, have all of my affection, all of my attention. You, I adore you. And so this morning, I encourage you when we see God's love for us, this love that we can't be separated from, I encourage you to just respond with adoration. Lift sounds of joy to our God. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll start worshiping. Heavenly Father, I pray, Jesus, that you would just, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and fill us, that you'd give us um, a heart that longs to adore you, longs to worship you, to give you praise, to give you glory. Um, Yeah, would we just give you everything that you deserve, which is all of our affection this morning, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts that we would know you and know your love. Yeah, bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me, your love is 
that took away our sins, Jesus. We thank you, God. It's so much better than anything else that this world offers. It's better than life. We love you. We're going to praise you. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. No, my soul praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Praise him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord who over all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yes, so gently sustain it. Hast thou not seen how thy desires have been granted in what he ordained? No great God, no great God, blessed Redeemer, merciful Savior you are, oh great God, King of creation, hope of the nations you are, oh great God, oh great God, blessed Redeemer, Merciful Savior, you are, O great God, King of creation, hope of the nations, you are. Praise to the Lord, who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. If with his love he be friendly. Sing, O great God. 
morning willow park church family uh, in just a moment here we're going to take communion if you want to go gather your juice and your bread uh, and while you do that uh, you know i just want to lead into uh partaking together with a bit of story uh just a couple weeks ago our family we went uh away for a week we went camping and we got to hang out at the lake and we went to this spot four years ago and we we're just there relaxing enjoying being together as a family communing together. And while we're there, we're just remembering the last time we were there four years ago and the kids are telling stories and they're remembering certain spots and they remember the fish that we caught. And so when we come to take communion, it's like that. We're taking that time. We're taking that conscious time, separating ourselves, and we're communing with Christ. We're remembering what he's done in our lives. We're remembering that moment we came to know him. We're remembering, you know what, that his blood was shed for us and it covers our sins. And so when we think maybe about something we're going through right now and we feel the shame of it, we come to Christ knowing that his blood covers that. We don't need to walk in that shame. When we feel like he's so distant, he's so far, we're taking time to commune with him, recognizing that he's actually with us. His promise is that he'll never leave us, never forsake us, that his spirit lives inside of us, it dwells within us, and we have access to him. We have access to him at any moment. We can speak to him, and we know that he's working because his spirit lives inside of us. Communion is about drawing close to Christ, remembering what he's done, remembering that he will always, always be with us, that we can come to him with those things in our life that are broken, those situations where we feel, oh, I just feel really terrible about this. He just says, come to me, all who are weary. And he comforts us. We remember what he did for us on the cross and what that means as we move forward in life. So let's take a moment and reflect on Christ, on what the blood and the body broken means to us.
This is his body broken for us. Let's partake together. Just as his body was broken, this was his blood shed for us that covers our sins, that makes us white as snow. Let's partake together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that communion reminds us that we are in communion with you. Lord, it reminds us of what you did for us, the greatest act of love that has ever been done on this earth. We realize that you are love. Lord, it reminds us of what you've done in our lives. It reminds us of where you've taken us, what you've done uh, within our hearts. And also promises us that you're going to continue to work. You're going to continue to do mighty things in our hearts and our lives. So we come to you taking that time to remember what you've done. We don't rush through it. We dwell in it. We let it resonate within our hearts. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Amen. Trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Oh, 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 oh. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more and more. Trust in Jesus and to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood.
Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more. To trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust the precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me till the end. Oh, oh, oh. until the end. Oh, oh. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I proved Him more and more, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more. Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace. To trust him more. Yeah, Lord, it is so sweet to trust in you, to trust in what you've done on the cross to save us from our sins, to trust that your love will never be separated from us, to trust you that once we are in your hand, we will never be able to leave, Father, that we are always under your wing, always in your protection. Thank you for your great love, for your sweet, sweet love. Yeah, Jesus, I pray for everybody listening to this. I pray that they would know your love in a real and fresh way, God. Lord, that they would see you for who you are, see you for your grace, for your steadfast love that's better than life, better than anything that this world, that this city could offer. You are better than that, Jesus. Yeah, Father, bless the rest of this service. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us today for Church Online. And here is your family news. Next Sunday, you are invited to join us for one of our in-person dwell gatherings at three of our locations, Highway 33, Lake Country, and South. There will be three dwell services at Highway 33 at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5.30 p.m. for Pursuit. At South, we will have two services at 9 and 11 a.m. At Lake Country, we will have one service at 9 a.m. To learn more, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com dwell. In order to attend our dwell gatherings, you need to register before each weekend. Registration opens on Tuesday at 9 a.m. and closes Saturday at 12 p.m. Space is extremely limited because we have less than 50 seats per service per room. So please register early. You can register on our website or using the free Church Center app. If you don't already have the app, be sure to download it today, as it will also be the way we share message notes and worship song lyrics with you when you are at a dwell gathering. Get the app today at willowpartchurch.com app. Last week, we had our first kids camp online, and it was so much fun. The kids had a blast, and we even heard that some parents enjoyed it too. Our next Kids Camp Online is happening August 17th to 21st, and registration is open at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. Join us after church today for a live Zoom chat with one of our pastors. Simply visit the website to find the links to join in. We can't wait to see you all there. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. joining us. We are just having a live gathering here, and we're excited that you can join us at home. And so we were just having a, a quiet testimony time before I was just nicely yelled at that we've gone live. And so here we are. Um, we're excited that we are gathering here together for our volunteer training to prepare for next week. And we're excited that you're watching at home with us. We're hoping that you are staying cool in your homes as it's been a really warm week. Um, we have the privilege today of having Russ Wilson come speak to us. For those of you, you know Russ from, he would have spoke, he's spoken at Lake Country, I know that, and I assume he's spoken across all of the churches uh, that Willow Park Church is connected with. And so he is now at Summit Drive as the executive pastor, and we are excited to have him here with us as Phil's finishing up his vacation. And so before I invite him up to pray with him, uh, it's our... It's weird. It's offering time. I'm saying it into, you know, it's a, a camera, but uh, we are so thankful for those who have been giving through this time, and we're praying for those who are feeling the struggle and the pinch of going through the virus and their businesses being affected by this. We're praying for, you know, it's God's mercy and grace to be upon us in each of these situations in our homes as we navigate a tough time, and so thank you uh, for everything. Let it, We just want to let you know we're praying for you um, as, you know, if, every family within our Willow Park Church Network that's been affected by this. And so I'm going to invite Russ Wilson, as, and he's going to come up to prepare to speak to us. Uh, I'm going to pray for him, and then we are going to listen. Sure. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Russ. Lord, we thank you for, uh, Lord, for driving down here two hours from Kamloops to come to share with us. Uh, we are excited to hear what you have 
uh, placed on his heart for us, Lord, this morning. And we just pray that uh, you continually guide him, direct him through, Lord, as he's recently moved uh, in the midst of COVID. And so we pray that there'll be mercy upon him and, and grace in that, in that time. But we're excited to hear what he has in store for us, and we are glad that he's with us this morning. Amen. 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 All right. Yeah, you can take that. You can have that. All right. It is great to be here. Uh, back home, in some sense, for me, that feeling that uh, Willow Park is uh, a place that I feel very much at home um, in saying that. And so uh, it is just a great feeling as I was driving back here this morning, just that um, a sense of coming home. And and the few that are here, it is it, um, there's a feeling of that is familiar as well, because back at Kamloops, we're doing the same kind of thing that we have a small gathering. We've been meeting for about four weeks with the mixed uh, feeling of some in the congregation and many on, on uh, our screens back uh, in their own homes. And so I'm used to this way of doing things as well. And so uh, this is a, a familiar way for me doing things um, in the same sort of fashion. And so uh, it's a uh, odd time this year, COVID time of doing things church-wise, and so uh, we're working our way through trying to figure out the best way to do things as well, and so um, uh, when Phil contacted me and asked me if I'd be able to come back, I quickly got permission from my lead pastor, Dave Fields, and uh, we've had Phil at our church in Summit a few different times, and so Phil has a, uh, a great um, reputation with us, and we're thankful for his ministry in our midst, and so Dave quickly gave me the okay to come here this morning, and so I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, at our church in um, Kamloops, we're in the midst right now of going through a series of messages on the Apostles' Creed. And uh, the Apostles' Creed, if you're familiar with that, you'll know what it is very quickly. If you're not familiar with it, it is really the, um, the oldest document um, in an attempt to make a, a clear understanding of what it is we as followers of Jesus Christ believe. And it was done in the second or third century, uh, a gathering of, um, of um, people got together and said, okay, what do we want to make as sort of a, a clear understanding of what we as followers of Jesus Christ say in a, in a concise uh, matter would say, okay, what, what do we say we believe and out of the, the scriptures? And so they put together this document called the Apostles' Creed, and obviously the apostles were already gone at that point in time, and so they didn't do it, but, but uh, church uh, leaders put this together, and so we're going to put it up on the screen, and, and we're going to say, uh, we want to read this out loud together and say, okay, here's what it is that, that we believe. And so if we can have it up on the screen, we want to put it uh, and read it uh, and say, okay, here's what we as followers of Jesus Christ say that we believe. Do you want to stand if you're here in the auditorium at home, if you want to just follow along and, and uh, we're going to read it out loud and say, this is what we believe. Um, let me just move this. Maybe if I can, I'll move it. So you guys back there can um, see it as well. And that way we can just try to read it out loud together and say the Apostles' Creed, this is what we say we believe. So I believe in God. You can read it out loud together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and I'll address that in a second, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right, so just so you don't get too wrapped up about the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying the universal church, okay? It's got nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. It's the Holy Catholic Church in the sense of the universal church, okay? And so uh, what we all together as a, as a body of believers would say that we, this is what we believe as a body of believers. And so the phrase that I'm going to look at this morning, and so when, as we as a, a church over in Kamloops are going through, is the phrase by phrase we're looking at from a, um, a, a group of believers, is that I'm going to look at the phrase, the key uh, to is, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And so we were just breaking it down and saying, okay, what is it that we as a church believe? And so I'm just going to key in on that one phrase. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. That's quite a phrase. Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Get your Bibles. There's a phrase or a passage in the scriptures that really does address this. And it's in the book of Philippians. It's in chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11. And it tells us very clearly that that is exactly what happened. And we want to be understanding of, of how the Bible actually does address that and, and makes it clear that when they put this Apostles' Creed together, they weren't just whistling in the dark or making it up as they went along. They had different passages of Scripture where they were addressing that very clearly. And in the book of Philippians, it does very, very clearly address that part of, of the Apostles' Creed. And Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, and he wanted them to understand that he wanted them to have this mindset or this understanding about how to live their lives, and he wanted them to... Uh, follow through with Jesus Christ, how he lived his life. And so in Philippians chapter 2, we see this address from Paul to the church. And he said, I want you to have this attitude, this mindset, this understanding of how to live your life. And so in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, we read these words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he wanted them to address this. He wanted them to have this, this uh, understanding. He said, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used for their own advantage. Rather, he said, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, that's Jesus, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And so the first few verses talk about when Christ came down. And we're going to look at this, this idea of Christ descended first, and then he ascended. And I'm going to explain this in just a moment. Therefore, it says in verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so... When we look at the Apostles' Creed and, and see that, um, that Christ has ascended and is seated at the right hand, well, something had to happen before he ascended. And the thing that had to happen before he ascended was he had to descend. It's just logical. So there's 
two things at play here. First of all, there's the descent from heaven to earth, and then there's the ascension from earth back up to heaven. And so as I got thinking about that, and I was looking at this part of the Apostles' Creed, I I thought there was this point in time in heaven when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had this conversation, and there was a decision that was made amongst them that Christ was going to leave the glory of heaven and come to earth. That must have been an amazing moment. When we read in Philippians that Jesus said that he was not going to grasp that position He was going to humble himself, and his equality with God was not something he was going to grasp. He wasn't going to hang on to that, but he was going to let go of that so that he would descend from heaven and take on the position of a servant and become a man. What a conversation. What a a discussion. What a a point in time that must have been in, in eternity past when that decision amongst them, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, must have been when when Jesus agreed, I'll leave. I can't imagine. But that's what happens in verses 6 and 7. It's clear that he's willing to take on the very nature of a servant who being in very nature God, verse 6, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. I just, I just can't fathom what that would be like. Read, read these words in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15. It says, he is, the made, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Or John, who wrote in, in his gospel, in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then also verse 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God, he was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John says. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came from the Father. In other words, he descended. He was with the Father and he descended. And John says, we've seen his glory. And so when Jesus stepped out of heaven and into humanity, we can't fathom the change that took place at that point in time. But what we can understand is that there was these verses that Paul writes for us in Philippians, where he says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But John MacArthur writes for us in his commentary that he took on the very nature of a servant or a bondservant. And what MacArthur says in his commentary is that a bondservant was required to take and carry other people's burdens that was their job. A bondservant would take other people's burdens. They were, that was their job, was to carry other people's burdens. And so what burden did Jesus carry? Well, the burden that Jesus carried was the burden of my sin and your sin. That was what he was required to carry. And he came to earth, and so when he left the glory of heaven, 
and came down here as a bond servant, the burden that he was required to carry once he left heaven and walked this earth. He was on a journey to go to one place. That was the cross. And he was going to carry a very distinct burden as a bondservant. And the burden that he was going to very clearly carry was the burden of my sin. Obviously, when he was in heaven, every single creature in heaven understood who he was. There was no lack of recognition when Jesus walked anywhere in heaven. When any time he was any place in heaven, he would be recognized by every single creature in heaven. But as soon as he left heaven and came to earth, he was anonymous. Isn't that amazing? He wasn't recognized because he was born of the Virgin Mary. And Mary was a nobody. Mary is in a village of nobodies. And he took on human likeness when he left the glory of heaven. And he was birthed by this woman, Mary, who nobody knew. The Bible makes it clear that he came and he took on this human likeness that, of course, nobody recognized because Jesus came and he took on the position of a servant, a human servant, a likeness that nobody recognized. They didn't know who he was because he was born of this woman, Mary, who nobody knew who she was because she was a nobody. How could Jesus leave the, the recognition of heaven where everybody, all the creatures of heaven knew who he was to come to earth where nobody knew who he was? He walked heaven, he walked earth where nobody knew who he was. The creator of everything, born into the unknown, as Paul says, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And scholars and theologians have debated what that all means, but what we do know was that he accepted anonymity. That's just so amazing. That the one who was so known completely in heaven comes to earth where they don't know who he is. He's unrecognizable. But every so often, the Gospels take these pictures, these snapshots for us, and they tell us these stories where every once in a while we get a little glimpse of, of Jesus revealing himself. In Luke chapter 2, we get the first little glimpse of it when we see in, in Luke chapter 2 that um, all of a sudden, he's 12 years of age, and his parents are, are going to the, to the Feast of the Passover, and they, uh, they celebrate the Feast of the Passover as, as a tradition, an annual tradition. And, and the family goes there and they celebrate the feast. And, and then they leave and, and the Mary and Joseph take off and they start going back to their hometown. And, and all of a sudden they get a day's journey out of Jerusalem when they realize that all, their son isn't with them. He's 12 years of age. And they realize that as they've journeyed a day's journey out of Jerusalem, that, that Jesus isn't with them. And so they, they frantically go running back to Jerusalem. And it takes them several days to follow. All of a sudden, they locate him. And where they locate him is actually in the temple courts. And after several days of looking, it says in verse 47 of Luke chapter 2, when they discover him in the temple courts, he's sitting with the, the teachers it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. The first snapshot that we see that this Jesus, who is unrecognizable by the masses, 
born of this virgin who knows, knows, nobody knows is all of a sudden starting to reveal himself. A little snapshot that we see that there's something about this one named Jesus. He's different. And then in John chapter 2, we see Jesus attending a wedding with his mother. He's now gone from age 12 to age 30. And there's something about him that, again, we see another snapshot when at this wedding, all of a sudden, the wine runs out. And his mother comes to him and he says, she says, the wine's all gone. And Jesus says, why do you bother me with this? My time has not yet come. And his mother turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus performs his first miracle and turns the water into wine. And another snapshot all of a sudden comes that there's something about him that's different. And he's beginning to reveal himself and he's not so anonymous all of a sudden. And the progression continues and he gathers his disciples and another surprise that as he gathers these disciples together, they picks out 12 different men and, and some of them are fishermen, most of them are, and then he's got a tax collector, but all of these are unknown. They're not religious geniuses and, and they're not well-known people, but they're going to be known by him because he's going to train them and disciple them and make them into fishers of men, whatever that means. And they're all being surprised, the world is, because Jesus is assembling a a group of people who are going to literally transform the world because he's going to show them how to do it his way, which is different than the world's way. He's descended from a place that they don't understand, and he's doing it in a way that they don't understand because he's not doing it their way. He's different, this one named Jesus. And he tells parables. And if you listen to this parable from the, chap from the book of Luke, we see that he tells this parable about a lost coin and, and a lost sheep and a lost son. And just think about this, because he's descended from where? He's descended from heaven. And he's come to earth. Why? Because he wants us to understand what his father is like. And he's telling us stories as he's doing this. And, and it's so unusual because the, he's had religious leaders down there telling a, a different ways of doing things. But this is now Jesus. This is the one from heaven who's come to earth by God's design to tell us who he's really like. And this story is just so incredibly remarkable. It's Jesus telling the story. And when he tells us the story about the lost son, it's such a remarkable story because Jesus is revealing the heart of the Heavenly Father for his children. And the son comes to his senses because he's asked for his inheritance, he's received it, he's squandered it all. And Jesus tells us the story about how the father responds to one who has done everything wrong. And now wants to come back home. And remember, it's Jesus. And so we get to verse 18. And the son says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Remember, this is Jesus telling the story about the father. He wants us to understand what kind of father we have. 
Verse 19, I'm no longer worried that he called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he gets up at verse 20 and he goes back to, to his father. But while he was still a long way off, listen, this is Jesus talking about the father. While he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran. That's what Jesus said about God. He ran. The father ran. And he threw his arms around him. You see, when, when Christ came down and descended to earth, the reason for it was to tell us what God was like. It was tell us that he wanted relationship with us. And in that story, he was revealing to us the heart of the Heavenly Father. It's an amazing story. And so before we get to the ascension, we had to have to we had to have Jesus descend first. There's two people in my life. There's one named Doug and one named Marion. And Doug I got to know very well, and Marion I never ever did know. I just know her name. And one day when I was traveling with Doug, we were traveling from Ontario out to uh, Alberta, Doug told me the story. And um, Doug's my father. And when Doug was seven years of age, he had to get a permission slip. He was going to school, and he had to get a permission slip because his school was going to another school. And so he came home at lunchtime and uh, had to ask Mary and his mother to sign a permission slip because his school was going to another school for a play. And he had to get permission to go and do that. And so Marion, who was his mother, had to sign the permission slip. And so uh, she signed the permission slip at noon hour that day. And uh, he was seven years of age. And so she signed the permission slip. He went back to school and got uh, permission to go with his school over to another school to see the play. Came back home after school that day and never saw his mother ever again. This was 1937. And um, my dad and I were driving from Ontario out to Alberta. And he told me that story. I, I never knew Marion, who was my grandmother. And I said, Dad, I, I, I can't fathom what that would be like. And he said, well, it's just one of those things that happened. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, as far as I know, she went to be with another man. And I said, so you never heard from her again? He said, no. And so I was talking to my sister the other day on the phone about it, and she said, well, part of that's um, true, he says, she said, the other part that uh, happened, he says, was, um, she said that um, dad ended up with an inheritance from his mother um, some 60 years after that, and uh, he got $60,000 from his mother when she died. She ran away to be with another man, and um, there was a knock on his door, and a courier came, and he said, are you Douglas Lauren Wilson? And she, he said, yes. 
And he said, he said, do you have identification? And my dad said, yeah. He gave him identification. And he said, uh, here's a package. And he opened up the package, and it was uh, from a lawyer who was settling the estate of uh, his mother, who he had never heard from ever from the time he was seven until that day. And uh, he didn't want to have anything to do with the money, but um, he had no way of contacting the estate. And so um, he talked to my sister about it, and uh, she said, yeah, it was just um, a check. And he told my sister, he says it was like a dollar uh, for every year that he didn't have a mom. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Later on in my dad's life, he ended up finding Jesus as a savior. And I said to my sister, you know, it's a good thing that dad in his adult years found Jesus. Because Jesus is the kind of person who doesn't walk away from you. And he descended from the glories of heaven to let us know that we have lots of brokenness in this world. And we have lots of people who will let us down. And it happens every day in this world, sadly, still. And that's why we as the church have the message to go out into the world to tell the brokenness of this world that there are people who will always be letting us down. But Jesus came down to this earth to tell us that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm glad that before my father passed away, he did find that there's a Jesus, a one named Jesus, who will never leave you nor forsake you, even though when you're seven, the one called mom sometimes does walk out on you. And she never should, but she does sometimes. And that happens. And it's sad, but it's true. The ascension. The second part of that passage in Philippians is so incredibly great because it's so awesome that Jesus, after he came and accomplished all the things that he set out to do, it's so amazing that God said, okay, now that you've done everything that I asked you to do, now that you have been obedient to the point of death on the cross, here's what's going to happen. You're going to ascend to the place that I've called you to. And it says in verse 9 that after he had become obedient to the even death on a cross, therefore, it says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's a lot of great stuff that has happened. So the ascent of Christ. First, Christ humbled himself, and then the Father exalted him, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. So if we go to Hebrews, we see the writer of Hebrews acknowledging that all of that stuff was amazing and it's true, but the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews had some more things to tell us about that same passage or that same idea, that same picture of what all Jesus did. So in Hebrews chapter 1, we've got the same picture going on. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses uh, 2 and 3, we read these words. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. It says, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for his sins, he sat down, listen to this, at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Then we go on and we read in verse 6. 
And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And then in verse 8, we read this. And about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And the scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And then finally, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, we read this. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And so we know that after he had ascended, he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He went to the cross, he accomplished everything he was supposed to do, rose again on the third day, and then he ascended, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The writer of Hebrews joins with Paul and makes this clear. And so when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I come into a relationship with the one who rose and has all authority in heaven and earth. Matthew wrote about that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus. He said that. And then Peter, writing to the early church when it was scattered, he said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, who has gone into heaven, Peter wrote, he says, has gone into heaven is at the God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So this is the one who has all authority. All authority. That's an amazing thing. Jesus Christ. So when we are in relationship with Jesus, that's an amazing relationship to have. Because not us, but the one that we are in relationship with, he has all authority. Now, from time to time, I've had the privilege of meeting some significant people. It's been a joy, it's been a privilege to just come in contact with some people who have authority. Earthly speaking. Uh, when I was a young man working in a hotel in uh, Regina, uh, it was 1977, and I had the privilege of uh, serving uh, dinner to um, the finance minister of Canada, who went on to become the prime minister of Canada. His name was John Chrétien. And uh, he was on a campaign trail for uh, uh, the liberals, and um, I got to take up to his room, and the door closed, and we were standing there together. I served him his dinner, and I said, uh, Mr. Kretchen, I said, do you think that you guys are going to win the election? And this was long before I had to worry about the listening devices and all everybody taking selfies and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, young man, he says, just you and me here in the room. He says, there's not a chance in the world that we're going to win the election. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. He says, but it's just you and me here in the room right now. And I said, yes. He says, so this isn't going to be repeated anywhere. And I says, well, there's nowhere really to repeat it. And he says, the country's looking for a change. And he says, and so, no, he says, we don't have a hope in heaven of winning this election. And Joe Clark and the conservatives went on to win that election. I thought it was very interesting, his honesty in talking to me that frankly about, uh, the, con- about the coming election. And so... Um, I've had the opportunity in my role as pastor to uh, work with presidents of corporations in my role as a regional director in my former role of dealing with presidents of denominations and mission uh, uh, boards and and at times been so impressed with the level of their um, uh, prayer life and their spirituality and at other times being disappointed with their immaturity. 
But whatever it would be, if you were to line up their level of power and influence and put it all in the line and compare it to Jesus Christ, it doesn't compare to anything. They may have tons of money. They may have tons of power on this earth. But Scripture makes it clear that it doesn't hold a candle because Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I don't care what man or woman may think that they have a lot of authority. Jesus made it clear. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's that name. It's that name. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, it's the name that is above every name. Every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth. Again, we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, where we read, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has as inherited is superior to theirs. Now, it's interesting that scholars don't all agree about the name, what name it is that is superior. Um, here's what we do know. In verses 10 and 11, it tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's what we do know. Um, getting back to the Apostles' Creed, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He descended, and then he ascended. My friend and lead pastor over at uh, Summit Drive Church in Kamloops spoke some time ago on this idea of Christ ascending to heaven, and he quoted a couple of different professors. And one of them, Gerald Johnson, said this, When God the Father now sees, and listen to this, this is interesting, and think about this for a moment. When God the Father now sees God the Son, he sees a human face, which he had not seen before. When God the Father hears the Son, he hears a human voice. Or as theologian Garrett Dawson writes, what was never in heaven before, human flesh, is now there in the ascended Jesus. That wasn't there before. Because he had to descend before he ascended. And when he ascended, he ascended in a physical body. It's different now. So what's Jesus doing now that he is seated at the right hand of the Father on high? Well, when Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, and he said in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has poured out what we now see and hear. Remember in Acts chapter 2, there was that great message and the pouring out of the Spirit upon all the people, and the people spoke in different tongues. Well, what Jesus is now doing, he's now directing the Spirit to empower the church to do what we are now called to do. You are volunteers here, those who are here assembled here. Now you are volunteers and getting ready for direction to go and do what the church is called here on earth to do. We are called to serve. That's what we're called to do. And Jesus is calling us to serve through the power of the Spirit. Stuart Briscoe, in his um, book on the Apostles' Creed, said, well, what's the point of all this? Well, one of the points of him sending his spirit into the world is that the Holy Spirit is the dynamic that equates to all the demands of God. And he says, and God has laid great demands on individual Christians and on the corporate body of believers of the church. And we are sometimes overwhelmed by these demands because we can't live up to them, and that's why the Spirit is here empowering us to do what he's calling us to do. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what Christ is directing us to do. And so when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, what Jesus is doing is he's directing the Spirit to empower us to do what he's calling us all to do. 
And so there's a job that the Spirit is being directed to do by Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's all pretty amazing. I'm just overwhelmed by the truth of it all. I think it's pretty uh, amazing. Now, one more thing I want us to see this morning in here. The other day, I came across this quote, and I thought, this is just too good to not share. So I want to leave it with you. Tim Keller, who's pastor down in New York City, said this, and as we close this morning, and I think of this God, this one named Jesus who descended first, walked the earth, revealed to us, empowered um, us through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, and then ascended and seated at the right hand of God. And you and I, who have given our lives to Christ and have relationship with him, he's seated there with all authority in heaven and on earth. He posted this the other day. It's a quote from John Newton, the old slave trader. Listen to this. John Newton said this, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his love and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Let me share that with you again. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his love and power are such, None can ever ask too much. I challenge you. Increase your prayers. Increase what you're asking Jesus. Because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He sits at the right hand of the father. You can not ask him for too much. He's only waiting for you to come and ask. He's a great God. Let's join together and ask him for more than what we've been asking him for. He's that kind of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are so incredible. You have done so much. And sometimes, Lord, I feel in my own heart that I come with small prayers. And during this week, as I've prepared this message, I feel convicted that I've looked at you as being too small. And that prayer of that that vision that John Newton just wrote reminds me of how big you are. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you invite us to come with prayers that are so much bigger than what I've been praying recently. Because you went to the cross and you defeated everything that there was to be defeated. And now you rule and reign with all authority. And I can come to you with whatever I need to come to you with. 
So lift up my eyes, Lord, once again to see you in all of your glory and then embolden my heart to come to you with prayers that would be bigger than I've ever come to you with before so that I can give you all of the glory and all of the praise and all of the honor and I can reach farther than I've ever reached before, Lord so that more people can come into your kingdom. So that we can reach this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because obviously, God, our world needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus for your glory and for their good and for our faith to be stretched, Father, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.